Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. It's on. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Undersampled Radio episode. What episode is this, Matt? I don't have my show notes yet. <laughs> I don't know. I was maybe 42. No, you just wanted to talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I think. Hmm. Maybe. Have you read them all? Uh, yeah, I think I have. Um, I've read the Dirk Gently books as well, so I feel like I must have finished the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide before yes. I moved moved on to those, but it was, you know, I don't know, more than 20 years ago. I love them. I think Douglas Adams uh, is hilarious, or was, rather, now hilarious. Yeah. And I'm glad we're talking about books because I gave up. I gave up on my, my most recent read. Oh, you ditched it? I did. Yeah. So um, I was reading a book called Evicted by Matthew Desmond. It's the newest general nonfiction Pulitzer winner. And I got about halfway through. And I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's beautifully written, amazing book. It's just so depressing. Yeah, I remember. So that was about like human migration or something? What was it about? No, no, poverty and debt, like... Urban yes, poverty. that's right. right. It was sort of a manifesto on the state of the United States and the sort of property versus profits uh, situation. Now, um, I mean, you, you go through this book and it really is, it's fascinating and amazing. It's told as, it's almost told as a, as a fictional narrative. I mean, all the stories are true, hmm. um, but it's sort of told from the viewpoint of several different participants in the system. Uh, landlords, tenants, um, large corporation uh, stakeholders in, in housing and things. Um, but man, I just, I, I would read it and every time I would, I would just be in this horrible mood <laughs> after I finished reading. So I, I decided about halfway through that I couldn't handle anymore. I threw in the towel. Yeah. That is, I, is that, um, are you one of these people who will normally stay, stick with things to the bitter end, even things you're not I, I used to be. I okay. used to be. <laughs> and I realized that in, in rare, it's, it's rare that I'll give up on a book, especially a book. Uh, movies more, more easily. I'm not as invested in, in a movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but, but that feels like it's even less of a, you know, an investment or loss, depending on how you look at it, I guess. Um, if you're not enjoying it, you know, you maybe got to stick with it for another 45 minutes or whatever it is, but you'll just, that's it. Yeah, like how, okay, it. so how long, like what's the cutoff point? Would you say if you- There isn't one, there is not one. Oh, at any point you might just be out, yeah. two minutes in, no, I'm done with this, is, this is stupid. Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. No, 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 okay, so There's I- There's no I, like, let's give it a chance, let's see. I will, I will give it a chance, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to put a rule on it. I mean, I, I, you know, if I'm feeling a certain way and 
I mean, maybe two minutes in, I'm hating it. You know, maybe maybe that's ten pages into a book. <laughs> I, I've never given up on a book after ten pages, but I have given up on movies after very short amounts of time. I mean, ten minutes or something. You know, I just sometimes. Okay. What about like in a, actually in a cinema or a movie theater? Um, you, do you, would you just leave? Is that? I'm ashamed to say. I'm ashamed to say that in a movie theater, instead of just leaving, I would just start talking to my. <laughs> no, no, quietly. Um, but just, I just sort of open derision towards the movie and general. No, 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 no. And you know what it is. I, 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 I do. And, and honestly, I won't. I won't. I won't interrupt anyone else's movie watching experience but if i actually go to the theater which again is fairly rare i will sit patiently as they enjoy the movie and i will be thinking about other things okay <laughs> but i but I, I just feel more invested in books i mean they seem to be more engaged emotionally engaging and hmm. uh, i was really <laughs> I was really trying to make it through this one but it was just it was it was making me upset, so had yeah. to pull the plug. What are you reading? Uh, I'm kind of between uh, between books right now, so I've and I've got enough going on um, with you know various uh, bits of work stuff that I've sort of given in, and I'm I've just finished a couple of Tintin classics, and nice. then uh, yesterday. Um, we had my birthday party at home early. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> my birthday today. Happy birthday. Thank you. I'm trying I, to I do a sound effect. I can't. Coming up, like a sad trombone. <laughs> I think I, I, uh, they turned it off last month. We can't do sound effects anymore. Oh, uh, yeah, they've gone. Um, here's, here's a... Here. <laughs> so, so, yeah, anyway, one of my gifts from uh, from my kids was a, um, a copy of a, a Raymond Briggs graphic novel called Gentleman Jim, which uh, is an excellent story about a modern highwayman. Uh, so I'll probably uh, I'll probably start that today. And then I'll move on to proper books once this uh, hackathon and all that stuff is out of the way. Move back to proper. I got some very nice proper books actually uh, for my birthday too. So um, my sister sent me one that I can't remember the name of, but it's by the chap who founded the Kielder Observatory in the um, Kill the Duck Sky Reserve in the north of England. And um, so he was an amateur astronomer, basically, that's that founded this amazing observatory. At least I think he's the founder of this amazing observatory that does fantastic outreach and observation. And uh, she went there with her kids and had a really good experience. So she bought the book for me, which was pretty awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Um, FYI, you've gone a bit fuzzy. Uh, oh, I think so what that. the drift is on your. Um, not exactly sure. Yeah. See, now that I'm in focus, you can tell that I didn't shave today because we, we actually we had a, we had a podcast scheduled for this morning, and unfortunately, our guest uh, ran into some logistical issues, and so we I thought we were canceling, but then I was very I was very pleased that I I, I get to speak with you on your birthday. Yeah, well, you know, and you're looking very smart there. I like the black tie. That is uh, that it's actually pretty cool. sharp. It's brown. It's, it's brown. Light. The lighting's bad, but it's right. I, you know, I have a brown belt on too. Oh, brown shoes, shoes? bag. Yes. Uh, well, no, I don't have a bag. You don't have a bag? You just well, I, your pockets? No, no. Well, I mean, okay. So I use backpacks. I know it's horribly unprofessional. Oh, 
Oh, uh, lawyers. Oh, There's no. a lot of lawyers here in New Orleans, and they they're always scolding me. It seems like I mean, every time I have a backpack, they say that it's just it's the worst because they right. always you know they have two thousand dollar leather, uh, right? Gucci, what you know? Yeah. I don't know. All the best. Good I mean, place. I just I'm ma I match right. That's that's as good as it gets for me. I didn't <laughs> I didn't shave, but I'm. Well, is is your backpack at least uh, a swarthy shade of brown? Uh, no, I don't have it today, but it is a nasty shade of blue. <laughs> oh, you don't have like different backpacks for different ensembles? No, just just the one is good. I see. <laughs> yeah, I mean bags. You know, you can't beat a good bag. But um, my bag that I have is is brown leather one. It's not a $2,000 Gucci job. Um, well, just you wait for your birthday present to show up. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I do. I like how it looks, but it's weirdly unpractical in various ways. It has a very, the, the shoulder strap for when I'm traveling and stuff, that's handy, but it's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, the bag is weirdly kind of back to front, so that you put your computer in kind of the front of the bag Mm -hmm. So if you are wearing it like that, all the kind of jangly stuff is kind of against your hip. It feels really <laughs> weird and wrong way around to me. Um, what else? It, and it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a TARDIS, but not not in a good way. So you put things in, and they're basically they've they've gone. <laughs> so I spend a lot of time. <laughs> I spend a huge amount of time looking for things in there that I'm pretty sure are in there but it's weirdly sort of unorganized. So it might not last much longer, but I don't seem to have got a bag yet for my birthday this year, so I have to wait so, a bit longer. So note to all you listeners out there, <laughs> Gucci preferred. Um, yeah, bags so feel like those things that you never buy for yourself somehow, like they, they just appear conferences or sure. your sports sure. stuff or whatever. I'm still using my GCAGS bag from 2013 to Okay. Travel. Anyway, yeah, I, I walk to work. I think do you, you walk to work too, I think, from your house. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. So you backpack do. is lovely for that because you don't have to carry anything. Your hands are free to listen to podcasts on your right. phone, plug in your ear, but you know, understand days, radio. Days into the distance. Whatever. Um, do general hand gestures. So you introduced me to a new, you and uh, Chris Jackson and, uh, Ethan Rosenthal the other the other week when we were up all in New York together introduced me to an app called Strava. Oh yeah, Strava. Which is a running app. And in fact, there's a whole bunch of geoscientists on Strava, so if you've never checked it out, go go give it a look. Um, but uh, it's been fun. Yeah. I it's really sort of like, like a, the social media version of an exercise app. Yeah, and sort of gently motivating. Uh, there's, also, there's a lot of features in there that I don't use. Have you gone for the pro account? Oh, you've frozen. Oh, great. So <laughs> Graham's uh, machine has probably crashed. And usually when this happens, I have a, a guest to talk to um, while he's sorting himself out. But this time, I don't. Anyway, yeah, I, I second Graham's endorsement of, uh, of Strava. It's not just for running, it's for cycling and other sports too. I guess cycling and swimming and running are the main ones, but um, it's definitely been a part of helping me get back to some semblance of fitness. Um, 
In fact, I ran the other day further than I've run for uh, something like eight years, I think. So that's pretty remarkable. Um, so because I st all through that time, I thought of myself as a runner. But um, anyway, slowly getting back into it. I feel like um, actually there might be. You go to some conferences because we always have to talk about conferences. So I'll just mention at some conferences. There's like a 5K. I'm just on a monologue here, Graham. Welcome I was back. doing the same thing. I didn't realize. I thought you had dropped out. I didn't realize. <laughs> I was just here talking to myself. I, maybe I did drop out. Maybe I was on a monologue. <laughs> We're just in parallel universes. Uh, anyway, I was just saying how a lot of conferences have like a 5K or some kind of run as like a feature of the conference. But I have never been to a geo conference with one of those. And maybe, as you say, if there's a groundswell of running geos, we should do that at the next, like EAGE, maybe, yes. or SEG or something. Well, I'm in if um, if you want to do it uh, on the hackathon weekend in Paris. Yeah, that's that might not happen. But um, why not? Well, you know, they're just too busy. Early mornings, late nights. Um, but I was chatting to someone the other day over email, and they were pretty keen to do something at the end of a day, so maybe at the end of Tuesday, to sort of go go back to the hotels or whatever, and then meet up again and go for a run. So it wouldn't exactly be like a you know an event per se, more of a sort of ragtag group of limping geoscientists. So basically, just like what the hackathon's going to be. <laughs> yeah, and the whole <laughs> conference. <laughs> hey, uh, I had a riddle me this prepared. I mean, uh, actually, let me restate that. I had a riddle me this given a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. Please and then I my my idea was I was going to get I was going to prep a new one this morning for this episode. But then, when our episode was canceled, I didn't do it. So, shall I give the answer <laughs> to the last one? <laughs> Yes. Please. Yes, I'm doing it as soon as I find it because I've crashed here and made Matt talk to you all in soliloquy form while I change computers. My uh, my nine year old is pretty into riddles right now. In fact, um, she comes home almost every day with a new one from her from her teacher. So I try and send her back with another one. So she's like the uh, she's like the go between. Um, <laughs> but between me and her teacher with riddles and anyway so there's a lot of riddles in our house at the moment um so do you have one handy that we could use for this week's riddle riddle me this uh well i've tried to choose ones that haven't been too you know that are sort of kid kid friendly i guess um yeah wow i can't isn't that just typical i can't even think of one off the top of my head my my kids often object especially the oldest one like the 12 year old she's like no oh, it's a trick question i wasn't thinking about it like that and i'm like yeah that that is kind of how these things work like you've got to look at it from another perspective right mm -hmm. i think it's really good brain training to, to see problems like that and the problem is really not what you thought it was it certainly promotes neuroplasticity exactly <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I found the old Riddle Me This. It was the one that I teased you about because it's horribly, horribly non-geological. Okay. Uh, do you remember this? It's, it's labeled Stibnite Fractions. Do you remember this? Uh, 
Yeah. Was, let me. No, let, this wasn't the weighing one, was it? This was the. No, it's even worse. It's even worse than that one. Okay, go on then. Okay, so uh, you have a bunch of pieces of stibnite. Remember, we were looking at stibnite samples the other day. Um, so stibnite is a is a mineral which forms long, straight, very straight um, crystals. Uh, acicular. Acicular. Anyway, it doesn't matter what <laughs> kind of mineral it is, because it has really nothing to do with the riddle. So you have a bunch of pieces of stibnite, which are all the same length. Um, basically just forming sticks. You could use sticks for this, so it'd be fine. You know, you could use pencils, whatever. Um, so <laughs> they're all the same size. So we're going to lay them out on the table, and we're going to write an equation with them in Roman numerals. Yeah, you follow me? Do you need your pen? Do you need to write, do you need to write this down? Yeah, the equation, by the way, is, is 23 divided by 7 equals... Two. Is that a correct equation, Matt? Uh oh, no. No, it's not. No, it's obviously incorrect, as it says in my notes. So, in Roman numerals, the equation twenty-three divided by seven equals two looks like this: x x i i i in the numerator, that's twenty-three. V i i in the denominator, that's seven. And that quotient equals on the right-hand side, you have two, which is i i. Got it? Yeah. Okay. So you're only allowed to move one of the pieces of stibnite, which make up these Roman numerals, to yep. make this equation correct. What do you do? Right. I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, oh. I, I sense that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, it's not coming to me in a flash or anything. Do you want a hint? Not yet. Well, okay. I don't know. How long do we want to keep people? We can edit this out, right? Not long. I'll give you a hint. I'll give Plus you a hint. How it goes, but yeah. It's. Uh, let me see if I can come up with a hint. Uh, the the answer is an irrational number. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. Um. Whoa. The answer is an irrational number. And you're moving one piece of stibnite. One piece of stibnite. Okay, I'm going to give you the answer here. Our audience, whoever is left in our audience has now fallen asleep. So the answer <laughs> is you move one of the pieces of stibnite, one of the eyes in the numerator, remember the numerator is x, x, i, 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 that's 23. Mm. You turn it on its side and put it on top of the two i's on the right-hand side of the equation, thus turning the two into a pi. So you then have 22 divided by seven <laughs> equals pi, which, which is, is... Which is not true. <laughs> almost correct. <it's> <laughs> That's uh, the worst. Yeah, I, I, it would have taken me a while to uh, to come up with that. I think the irrational one was a good one. I was looking for sort of square roots or something, but none of those work. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of one that I actually uh, gave gave my daughter this morning over breakfast. Oh, don't tell was... us the answer though. This could be the new one. This is the no, new one. No, this definitely isn't. Uh, um, and there was a rhyme to go with it, which I can't remember. But the point was. Um, 
12 divided by 2 is 7 and 13 divided by 2 is 8. How can that be? I, sorry, it's not divided by 2. Half of, <laughs> half of 12 is 7 and half of 13 is 8. And the distinction is subtle but yes. important. You, yeah. it, it might help to write them down. If you write them down in Roman numerals, 12 and 13. And, and then my the clue was that I screwed it up the first time when I said divided by 2, which is not what I meant. I meant half of. So just imagine a line cutting them in half. Oh, I see. Yes, I see it now. Yes. It's pretty daft, but there you go. The fun the Romans must have had. I the can't imagine. <laughs> the hours must have literally... Wine, math problems. <laughs> Sounds lovely, actually. Um, yeah. So the reason, the reason I've asked you here today, Matt, mm. the reason that I wanted to do it just us today, episode today, is because we had an interesting conversation um, on Twitter a couple days ago with Lucas yes. Mosser, Mosser. Does he pronounce it Mosser or Moser? Mosser. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Okay, so um, he was on the show a few weeks ago. You may have seen that one. Uh, it was pretty fascinating because he is like, a, uh, actually I wrote a blog post this morning about this thing I'm about to tell you about and I called him a purveyor of all things artificial intelligence. Um, so um, Lucas and Matt and I were discussing GANs, DC GANs in particular. So a GAN is a generative adversarial neural network, and a DC GAN is a deep convolutional generative adversarial neural network. So my idea was this. Hey, let's take a bunch of, oh wait, I guess I should describe what these things do. Yeah. So. Need a whiteboard. <laughs> piece of paper here. All it's got is Roman numeral child Roman numeral on. Um, so a, a, a generative adversarial neural network is one in which two networks are placed back to back, much like uh, some of the new architectures that are coming out these days. The first network in the series is called a generator network, and the second network in series is called a discriminator network. Am I am I telling you something you already know here? Um, well, I I know carry as on. much as you've said so far. Carry on. <laughs> okay. So, um, base, basically, this thing works like this: you you train the first network, the the generator, to generate Im images from whatever you've uh, that look like whatever you've trained it on. Okay, so whatever your uh, input space is. Uh, the second network, the discriminator, is trained to pick. The real images, the training images, from the generated images. Right. But doesn't okay. the generator start with random images? Wait, 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 wait. We're good. Okay. Okay. okay, so um, you do the training and you go back and forth. So generator, discriminator, back and forth, tick, 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 tick. So you basically have an objective function, which is a minimization of one network and a maximization of the other networks at the same time. So you right. reach a global extrema. And the goal is that the generator network, because of your loss, will learn to generate, to generate uh, 
outputs, in our case images, that are indistinguishable from the real outputs, the input space, or in the training space. So yeah. it's basically like having two networks, computer. one which generates um, uh, examples for a, for a Turing test, and the other yes. one takes the Turing test and sort of gives it a score about how close it is. Or, or, or is it binary? Is it like you passed, no, you failed? Or is it, as, does the discriminator give a score or a, just a yes, no? Probably it could either be either. One. Yeah, right. So it could be either, but it's a neat the, way to set up. A, I mean, it's really clever. It's extremely clever. I mean, in and the age of effective. machines, Turing testing other machines. Yeah, uh, they're starting to take over, right? Um, so very, very clever architecture. We'll post it. Well, actually, we don't have a show notes today, so we're not going to post a link to the to the paper. But you can find it on the archive. Uh, DC deconvolutional GANs use images convolutional, um, and there are several open source things. Uh, there's a there's one the ones that I'm playing with right now are, are written in PyTorch, and then there's one in Torch, uh, and uh, they're fascinating. So as Matt suggests, when you're actually generating after you've gone through training, you just feed noise as an input to the generator network. And, uh, and it, it outputs an image, which hopefully, if your training went well, is, is indistinguishable from a real image. So classic example of a DC GAN in operation is you train the networks on a bunch of, you know, a, um, actually, it's really not as much data as you might think. I mean, I think you can get accurate results in this DC GAN with hundreds, on the order of hundreds, like maybe mm -hmm. 400 um, faces of celebrities or presidents or whatever. Wow. Um, and then, so it'll generate faces. And they're surprisingly good. Yeah, that's remarkable. Surprisingly good. So um, I said, let's feed it some seismic data and have it generate seismic, you know, something that looks like seismic data. So I'm working on that right now. And I'm halfway there. Uh, I ran my first training run last night, which went terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they're apparent, so I was talking to Lucas about this yesterday. They're apparently very hard to stabilize, um, and he's given me some uh, tips on how to do so. So I'm, uh, hopefully by the end of the weekend, I'll have some results, some uh, fake seismic data. Maybe yeah. I'll have a Turing test <clears throat> that I'll post on Twitter. Yeah, cool. So anyway, yeah. I wrote a blog post about this this morning. It's uh, very just stream of consciousness. I didn't edit it or anything, but it's, it's live. How do you... Um... Because I mean, the thing, uh, I, you know, so people are using these sorts of things to generate stuff for video games and, you know, things where you need, you know, you need lots of things that all look different, but you don't want to sit down and design them all um, or use like real faces in the crowd or whatever. Um, so, that, so it generates things which are plausible, but not, not real. But what, and obviously there'd be no point in having seismic that's, plausible but not real. So how can you influence it, as it were, to... How, how would you change that pipeline to do something useful? Indeed. Okay, so uh, Luke, so I can't, so Lucas or, or your idea, I can't remember which one of you came up with this, is to start with an... So there, there's another network architecture called a PIX2PIX network, 
hmm. which is an image translation network. It's a it's a it's a GAN, uh, and in it's a it's an uncons no it's a constrained GAN. So an unconstrained GAN right. is where you f on the generation side you feed it noise. A constrained GAN on the front side you feed it something. It's kind of like co-creaking or, you know, in conceptually, yeah. Yeah. like, I have these data points and I have this sort of trend. Make this match this. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's kind of cool. So the idea here is you feed it an input image and it generates an image related to that input. So, for example, you could feed a PixToPix -pix network an image, uh, an image of a uh, the sketch of a handbag and it would, the output of that run would be a photograph, something that looks like a photograph of a handbag. So, right. you know, uh, that's a that's sort of a classic example. You know, you, you feed it edges and it outputs a full image. Yeah, um, there's some pretty, um, I think, I don't know if you can uh, carry on talking if I share my screen with some examples of that, but I... Uh, you can do that, and uh, I, I would like it. Does it come up on YouTube? I don't remember. I don't know. I think so. I think let's, so. let's see what happens. I'm, can, what do you see now? You see the part of the GitHub page for Pix2Pix? I see it, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to so try you... to talk as little as possible so you can see your screen instead of my face. All oh, right, because if you talk, that's what will happen. Hmm. But I can talk. Well, no, I, I don't have much I can say uh, about it, but there's just some examples on the screen there if you're watching uh, the video version of this or watching live. Um, of the kinds of inputs and outputs that these networks can produce. And they're pretty remarkable. So for example, um, one of them is uh, that there's a building that's been represented just by a bunch of rectangles with like a door and a bunch of windows and what could be interpreted as balconies and alcoves and things. And they're literally just colored rectangles. And pix to pix has generated a very plausible looking building. In fact, I think you'd struggle, at least at this scale, to tell it from a real photograph of a building. Um, so yeah, pretty remarkable. If you uh, haven't seen it before, um, go have a look and the paper is linked there. The archive paper is linked in that GitHub repo. Over to you, Graham. Oh, don't tell me he's gone again. He has. He's always muted because I see there's a mute thing in the corner of undersampled. Um, anyway, uh, Graham and Lucas were, you can find their chat on Twitter. Um, Lucas is Poorstar, P O R E S T A R. Uh, Graham is Graham Gansel on Twitter. The, uh, the conversation that we had yesterday is all there uh, with some links and other ideas and things like that. And I think they're pretty keen on tackling this or something like it at the hackathon, which is now in only, uh, well, I guess the boot camp is two weeks tomorrow. Um, sorry, two weeks today, and the hackathon starts two weeks tomorrow. Hey, I'm back. Sorry. There was a, the, I need an on air light outside my office because people keep coming in trying to know me. Okay, so <laughs> when I left, it was Pix to Pix Networks describing yep. the examples. Okay. Did we get to the reason we were talking about picks to picks with respect to seismic data? Uh, not, no, not really. I was just explaining where to find this conversation and where it might lead. I see. So, 
the next part in this conversation was um, the idea that we could use a Pixapix network to start with an Earth model and generate seismic data from that Earth model. So classically, as, as the geoscientists in the audience may know, uh, you, take a, you use a forward modeling algorithm on an Earth model to generate seismic data. Uh, that, that happens through wave propagation um, equations, standard, standard uh, stuff. I mean, you can do it in a million different ways. Finite difference is my favorite. But it would be very cool to see what an image translation network would come up with. So let us assume that that turns out uh, well and things are, are nice and, and feasible. The next step in the process is to do the inverse of that. Wow. So it's, it's very cool. I mean, this is potentially, I mean, we've, we've talked about this on the show before, and I know that both of us have thought about it a lot, how to use machine learning to, to, to do remote sensing, seismic in particular. So the idea would be start with a seismic section, have an image translation network, like a DC GAN or pix to pix related thing, and, and translate it back to an Earth model. So there are a bunch of issues there, but the, the forest through the trees look at this thing is you start with raw shot records, and you just stick them all into this network, and you come up with a velocity profile, a density profile, a uh, an Earth model. I mean, that is that is amazing, man. <laughs> Conceptually amazing. In your imagination, that is amazing. All right, so here's a couple issues I foresee, and then you can say the one. And I'm I'm just going to take these because they're a little hanging fruit. Then you can come up with some good ideas. <laughs> so so problem number one is. Uh, if you were to build a, so, so shot records are inherently 5D-ish, uh, I mean, depending on how you define them. So I would say shot records in the shot geophone space are well-defined by X, Y, Z, and offset azimuth. So uh, you'd have to translate from 5D space to 3D space. So dimensionality reduction in neural networks is thing again to stabilize in my experience uh, you could do some clever dropout stuff um, I, th I think it's possible I haven't I haven't thought this through yet it's literally just been this morning since this morning that I would think about it. Um, so that's one issue I mean the, the biggest issue always with anything like this is getting the data to train on and in the case of any remote sensing problem there's so much error in any training data you provide yeah. Your outputs may be meaningless. Yeah, because you you either with real data you don't know the Earth model, right? And with model data, you the don't physics. know the physics. So um, yes, inherently you're building in likely likely you're building in physics error. Um, because that's what, that's what you, you you have to train on something where you have a couple of known uh, labels labeled data sets. Um, so I think 
I think in limited cases we could actually come up with an answer. Now let's 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 try a much simpler scenario. Let's say 2D only post stack seismic. So in this case, if you're not familiar with seismic, you would have the the, the um, input data. The input, the feature vector would be a a seismic section. So you'd have two dimensions in the in the vertical di dimension. You would have time or depth. Of the of the acoustic record, and then in the horizontal direction, you would have distance down the seismic line, and that could be anything—you know, east, west, north, south, whatever. Uh, the label that labels that you train on is the same thing: two D section in depth of time, uh, uh, direction, and the values in the labels would be some sort of Earth model thing. I just jumped to velocity as a, as a standard thing. So you get a velocity of rocks. P wave velocity, that'd be simple. Um, maybe, maybe you start even simpler than that with the 1D problem, with the sure. with wellbore, like sure. the VSP or a surface seismic experiment. And then, and then you've only got time or frequency and offset, and that's it. And you know the Earth model because we have wells. So at least at least the training data should be pretty high quality. Right? If you had VSPs with logs uh, and um, you know interesting. Interesting, because then you have then you have one more constraint on the system. Right. There's no XY, there's no azimuth. And there is a I I hesitate to call, for instance, a gamma ray log, or or what, whatever. Let's say you're doing like a velocity version. I hesitate to call a sonic log ground truth, but it could be indicative of ground truth. Let's say. Well, we, yeah. I mean, we treat it like that in inversion normally, and. But yes, you're what, right. Right. What else do we? Um, and actually. I mean, in a way, the seismic's opinion of the sonic log is more valuable to us than true. So, whatever a geologist's opinion of the sonic log. So, the, the logical conclusion of that argument is then the best we can hope to do with an image translation network converting seismic back into an Earth model is is what is the is the uh, error we have in the sonic measurements of the of the earth i mean there's there's always some inherent error there because we can't get down there and take samples yeah i just feel like it, it i mean the imaging questions around what what these sort of networks can do for us there are really interesting but um maybe you're better off just taking imaging out of the out of the equation yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, it, it would be a purely a research exercise because obviously we don't care to invert a VSP for the velocities because we already have the velocities. It's kind of kind of the point, but yeah. But it's a first step towards yeah, the, yeah. towards the big thing, and it is a big thing, folks. I mean, if you could even get to the point. You know, okay, so let's take a seismic boat for instance. They're out there steaming around. Uh, taking shots and samples, and they come up with brute stacks, right, on the fly, mm. to uh, see how they're doing 
in their in the acquisition. Um, what if instead you could you could come up with <laughs> you could go back as far as an approximate Earth model? I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah, really amazing man. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm fast. I, I mean, I really think that this is this I, the first step towards the thing that we've been talking about for however a couple of years now. Um, that is that is having the AI move straight from raw data to to um, interpretation, right? Not necessarily size. I mean, this this applies everywhere, right? So, uh, let's say an ultrasound. Instead of seeing a blurry acoustic image, what you would see is what a baby. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me a bit of the sort of the three D ultrasound that people do. Yes, you know, which is presumably there's some kind of. I assume it's not simply thresholding some density image. That there's actually something a bit more sophisticated going on with that. I don't know much about yes, it. The, but. They do. They do imaging. I mean, they do migration. Um, right. Right. On That's happening in real time, pretty much. Yes. yes. Which is, is possible. It, is yes. the 3D is moving? I've yes. never seen one in the flesh. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, Digits. So I I don't know. This is awesome. I so like I said, I'm just going to build that little fun time uh, seismic generator thingy this weekend. Hopefully, we'll get some results. Then at the Paris Hackathon, if I have any time to hack on something, it's going to be it's going to be that that cool. And that what do I mean by that? I guess I w I'll work on the forward problem first, right? Because it seems like. Because of the unique, because of the uniqueness criteria, the forward problem would be easier to stabilize than the inverse problem. So I'm going to be playing with that. Lucas has um, indicated some interest in doing that for a hackathon project. So uh, expect to see some cool stuff coming up here, guys. And if uh, any of you audience folks would like to get together, contribute in any way. You're much smarter than I am, and I would love to have your opinion and your assistance. And again, I will put all this stuff open on GitHub shortly. Uh, yeah, so and if you, uh, Graham, or anyone else who's uh, watching slash listening, uh, you know, if, if you are coming to the hackathon, um, I I'm really hoping that we can materialize some of these teams and their projects before the event so that we can at least a few people can kind of hit the ground running and we reduce the pool of people kind of milling around looking for looking for a team on the first morning because that could take a while um so it, it, you know it, it, if you do have a proto team and project idea on the go then don't hesitate to go into the uh the team spreadsheet and add yourself with your buddy or whatever, because I think I, I, yeah, it's going to take a couple of people doing that to kind of, you know, prod everybody else into into doing it and provoke them into thinking about, oh yeah, what kind of, especially things like, do I need to generate some data before the hackathon, um, you know, for my training set or whatever, because that could take a couple of days for you to sort out. So, um, yeah, it's just a bit of an appeal to. Let's start 
the process of figuring out teams and projects so that we've got plenty of time for that to happen. Because as I was saying to people, one of the times you were you left the room, Graham. Uh, <laughs> but, Sorry. Um, it's I guess only two weeks away. It's pretty exciting. It is very exciting. Oh, and Amazon are going to send some Amazon dots, which are like these mini echoes. Cool. You know, Alexa with Alexa built in. And um, what I'm a little curious to see if anybody's interested in like picking up one of those to have a play with and see if they can it makes I don't know make Alexa do something interesting scientifically or geophysically or whatever as a sort of research voice driven research aid or, or something that could be kind of fun yeah I want um, Alexa as a geophone there you go <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um, That's a cool idea I think are they can you can you interconnect Alexas or dots or um, a good question. I think they are. I think they are aware of each other because uh, I thought you could carry music maybe or, or even something like that from room to room. Um, but I'm not sure about that. I mean, they're all on your Wi-Fi, so I don't see why they wouldn't be yeah. aware of each other. <laughs> cool. Well, um, we have some open data. Um, Sort of collated in in various locations. If if anyone is looking for data of various sorts, we have it. There's a project list, as Matt mentions, and some of that data is uh, is is notated there. Yeah. Uh, if you need assistance, let one of us know. And with that, Matt, <laughs> what's your favorite flavor of birthday cake? Well. I'm a big fan of orange flavored things. I like my wife makes a marmalade cake, which I like very much. Um, but uh, this this birthday, it was a uh, sort of coconut and lemon, which was also super awesome. So maybe that's my new favorite. Nice, know. nice. I decided yet? <laughs> All right. Well, you keep eating cake, man, and we will yep. take care of work. Take the rest of the day off. That's an order. Oh, thanks, man. Wow. See you guys next week on. Oh, wait. When 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 will we? Yeah, we were going to try and uh, talk to Evan next week. Oh, yes. A bit of a mini uh, special on conferences, one of our favorite subjects. <laughs> Evan and I were at a conference last week. Um, that's the current plan. And then the one after that, I guess, will be maybe we'll try and take some time out of the hackathon to do a, yes. a podcast and a tour of the hacking and everyone can join in on that bit of fun that's going to be cool indeed that could be really cool so expect uh in two weeks expect a very long <laughs> yeah. podcast uh but you'll get to hear from uh many people who've already been on the show many people who will be on the show and some really cool projects totes see you later bye everyone <laughs>